Welcome to Fixated, the Fixed Income Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Moran, Editorial Director of Fixed Income News Australia. Join me every week as I talk about the latest news, views and education in fixed income investment. I'll be joined by industry experts from Australia and across the globe. Welcome to today's podcast. Today I have Jason Falinski, member for McKellar, um, on the call. Jason, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. How is it in lockdown in Sydney's beautiful northern beaches? Well, it's it's beautiful and we tend to feel, um, we tend to view it as everyone's been locked out rather than we've been locked down. Oh, that's a nice way to look at it. Um, so, Jason, you have been uh, heading an inquiry into the retail corporate bond market. Can you explain to me why, how the, how the inquiry came about? Why did it come about? Well, it's that's a really good question, Elizabeth. It, it came about because I think when you look at, um, it, it's it's hard actually to say which way to to approach this, but I think primarily when you look at New Zealand and Australia, what you find is is the vastly more sophisticated financial sector in Australia than there is in New Zealand, except for corporate bond markets. Now, New Zealand has a wider, deeper, and more liquid corporate bond market than Australia does, and the question um, that comes out of that is, well, so what? Does it matter? that New Zealand has a better corporate bond market than Australia and there are other reasons for that. And that was part of the, the purpose of the inquiry, to try and understand whether retail corporate bonds as such were an important part of the financial mix, um, whether it was important for investors to have access to corporate bonds and whether it was important for companies to be able to offer them. Um, and that was the purpose of the inquiry. Um, and then I guess the other purpose was to try and understand well, does New Zealand have a deeper, wider, more sophisticated corporate bond market than Australia for a reason? Are there other parts of their financial sector um, that are wanting that has led into the corporate bond market? Or um, is it something that Australia, have we put barriers in place that have stopped what would otherwise be a thriving market from existing? So at Fixed Income News Australia, we're advocates for the asset class and we really want to make sure uh, individual investors can access bonds like other international investors can. And we think it's important that retail investors can have access. What have been, uh, and I know there's been some previous attempts to get up a retail corporate bond market in Australia. Why do you think they've failed? Well, essentially what our inquiry found and the the report should be tabled sometime in August um, with Widespread lockdowns, maybe it might have to wait till October, but um, we really want to get it done and dusted by um, August. Um, But what um, the inquiry found was beyond any doubt, the reason there is not a broader uh, corporate bond market in Australia is due to regulatory failure and um, the active barriers by, in particular, the Australian Securities and Investment Commission to not allow there to be corporate bonds in Australia. So how can we change that, Jason? I mean, I know that's what the inquiry is doing, looking at the causes and and. But what you know, have you come up, or have there been some some um, suggestions on how to improve it, make it better? Yeah, there've been a lot of suggestions in terms of how to make it better. But ultimately, um, I know this is going to sound uh, bizarrely simple, but we have to make a decision that we want a retail bond market, uh, that we want a corporate bond market in Australia and that we want people who issue those bonds to be able to offer them to retail investors. 
Now, at the moment, that decision is being made by the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, being ASIC. They have decided to become both the parliament and the regulator, and they have made a decision that they do not believe that Australians should have access to retail corporate bonds. Um, the result of that, of course, is significant consumer harm has been done. Um, we heard over and over again how ASIC has made it incredibly difficult, it literally has made it impossible um, for people to issue corporate bonds in Australia. Um, they have done so by, um, for example, requiring that trustees be appointed every time a, a retail corporate bond is issued or a corporate bond is issued in Australia. And in doing so, um, they made that a black box approval process. So there isn't a simple form that you can fill out once you've ticked all the boxes and paid your fee. Um, you are then uh, the approved trustee for that um, corporate bond uh, release or issuance. Um, you have to go through a bespoke process every time. ASIC has no um, guidance on how to achieve that. And then you have a black box process at the end of it, at which point they make some decision about on the basis of what factors we were not really given any indication as to why. Now, um, the real losers from that have actually been ordinary working Australians, particularly people approaching um, retirement who want to um, firstly secure their capital and at the same time know that they're going to have a relatively stable um, source of income at the end of it. It's just devastating to think that it's regulatory um, as opposed to market forces. I always thought it was, well, it's it's easier if you're a big corporation to issue into the wholesale market and be dealing with just 100 or less investors um, or to go overseas, but, you know, that we're actually denying uh, personal investors the chance to invest in the market is, is really uh, fundamental and very upsetting because... You know, as you would appreciate, a lot of Australian investors just have too much risk in their portfolios um, and not enough defensive assets. And particularly as you move into retirement, you want more defensive assets. So, um, quite quite devastating. Um, so, obviously, one of your or what I suspect is going to come out of the um, report is that you're going to suggest changes to the way the regulatory framework. Um, what are perhaps some of the other changes you might be looking to implement? Well, there are um, there are some minor tax changes that I think we have to make. And, and to your original point, um, when we first started the inquiry, I, I have to say I was kind of in the view. I was kind of um, thinking that this would mostly be about tax was the problem. Um, but one of the uh, submissions made the point that really the problem uh, was, was to go and look at the New Zealand market. So, I mean, if I could summarise our findings and our recommendations in, in a sentence, it would be do what New Zealand's done. Um, and that happened under uh, the key uh, national governments about a decade or a bit more, I think about 11 or 12 years ago. Um, we, I think, we think that's the framework that Australia should pick up and it should run with. Um, it's worked incredibly well in New Zealand. Um, it is beneficial to both um, Australian corporates um, it is beneficial to Australian investors and it is beneficial to our economy more broadly. So um, every day that we don't do this, I think, is a day that we've lost an opportunity, economic opportunity to take a step forward. So um, it is something that we're very keen and very eager um, to get done in this parliamentary term. So um, it has been quite frustrating not getting the report out sooner, um, but we are really pushing for that and we've 
kept ministers updated on um, where the inquiry was going. So once the report hits, the parliament will be in a situation to hopefully press the go button in terms of getting legislation drawn up. I, I think, Elizabeth, the really big thing that, that you know, shocked me, actually, was how both Treasury and ASIC have worked to prevent the issuance of corporate bonds that retail investors um, could take advantage of. And it simply comes down to their view about um, how they view Australian investors. They, they see Australian investors um, as, as actually very um, unsophisticated simpletons and therefore um, they should be denied the opportunity to make um, you know, the best investments in their best interests. And, and the bizarre thing is, as you say, by doing what they've done, they've actually put Australian retirees in a more disadvantageous position because Australian retirees carry too much risk in their portfolios. And um, it's just bizarre. And we tried to get straight answers out of them throughout the inquiry and couldn't. And I, I suppose if I was being fair to them or trying to be fairer to them, it would be that perhaps this isn't an issue that they've considered a high priority. But it is something that they should have and something hopefully that the report from this committee, when it lands in Parliament, makes very clear is something that is quite urgent, should be prioritised and should be legislated for as quickly as possible. It's just amazing to me that investors can invest in all sorts of shares from all sorts of companies, plenty of penny dreadfuls out there that you know, very high risk to things like um, cryptocurrencies, uh, virtually unregulated, um, but still corporate bonds where many of them, uh, are, well, they are all are um, lower risk than shares in the same company. It just it just doesn't make sense. Uh, and I'm very happy that you're working towards uh, changing the system. Just wanted to go back a bit about to how the New Zealand system looks and, and what investors can invest in there and minimum amounts and things. Could you perhaps describe it for our listeners, Jason? Yeah, sure. Essentially the way the, um, as it was described to us during the inquiry, the way that the uh, New Zealand system operates is basically bonds are issued in a very similar fashion to shares. They're traded openly on the market. Um that people, uh, people who are issuers of those shares um, are, have permanent um, approval to issue the bonds, rather, did I say shares? There you go. Um, have um, permanent approval to issue those bonds. So there's not the constant reinventing of the wheel that we have in Australia. The tax system operates, um, treats that investment the same way that it treats other investments. Um, people trying to issue bonds from overseas, which I think is a massive op opportunity for the financial sector in Australia. So we have uh, a group of um, superannuation funds that represent three tri $3.1 trillion in savings. And the amount of that, as we recently saw with the, um, the purchase or the, the proposed purchase of the um, Sydney Airport, those um, superannuation funds are literally running out of things to invest in. Um, they're not doing the hard work of going overseas, I might add, uh, which is, a, I, I suspect, a topic for another podcast. Um, but at the same time, um, they should be able to be ploughing a lot of money into um, corporate bonds, which particularly for certain classes of um, shares and companies and assets and sectors make far more sense than issuing shares. 
So, um, and, and your point um, previous to this is quite correct. We've got this, this um, Turner Caponia of um, hybrid shares, which are not quite bonds and not quite shares, and they're traded at massive valuations because people are desperate for just regular incomes, which can be provided by a corporate bond. But that market is switched off um, for a lot of uh, for a lot of people, and one would imagine that there are some very clever financial engineers, uh, maybe uh, at Macquarie Bank or, or God forbid, at one of the big four banks, um, who might be looking at this and saying, "Look, this could be our opportunity to securitize a lot of uh, corporate debt, and therefore open um, the amount of market." Because when we look at what APRA has done to the corporate um, lending market is it's made it so unappealing to the formal intermediaries of financial um, debt that, you know, they've had to pull back on. And, and most debt issued to small business or startups or SMEs generally is issued, but it's against the directors' um, homes or personal assets. And so you end up in this position of, well, how does that encourage risk-taking in Australia? And it just doesn't. But you might end up in this situation where where a bank like Macquarie Bank uh, could wholesale debt, then issue it onto the um, ASX or wherever, and um, and you know that frees up a lot of money, similar to what um, Aussie Home Loans did to the mortgage market back in the early nineties. One thing that I've found over the years that's been sort of upsetting, really, is that a lot of Australian companies have had to go to the US market to raise debt. And so we're missing, you know, personal investors are missing those opportunities here. And, you know, we can read uh, about companies, we can understand what they're doing, we can see their assets in a lot of cases if they're domiciled in Australia, we have a better understanding of the market. So if they there was a market or a ready market here, they may well be able to, um, you know, build other avenues of finance, long-term finance through Australian investors and perhaps at cheaper rates over time. But it seems like we're giving opportunities to foreign investors that we aren't making available to retail investors here, which I, I, I do find, you know, why? I <laughs> just have to ask why. <laughs> um, look, there are so many aspects to that. Um, the, the first is you're absolutely right. The second is Australia should be um, an international trading hub of international corporate bonds. We should have people, definitely the Asian region, issuing corporate bonds in Australia um, with very liquid savings through our superannuation system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We don't have that. We don't have that because um, our institutional regulators that should actually be enabling business are trying to cut us off. The second part to your your question, I, I think, is absolutely right on the money. When you look at, let's just pick on Atlassian, but Atlassian is one of many companies. Atlassian basically became a viable um, company through Australia's R&D tax system. So we we provided, we Australian taxpayers provided them with a lot of money through our our R&D grant system. The minute they became viable and needed to grow, they had to list offshore um, somewhat, that means they've avoided paying Australian tax. Um, there are too many jobs now situated in San Francisco and London because of, of the listing requirements and how they listed. Um, on top of that, 
um, we've missed out on that investment that we made as Australian taxpayers in that company. Um, there's a lot of tax getting paid in other jurisdictions in the world, um, not getting paid here in Australia, even though basically that company, um, you know, one of the things that helped them get to that point was essentially the um, R&D grant system that is provided under our tax system. Now, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not bemoaning Atlassian um, because they don't pay Australian tax. I'm bemoaning the fact that they felt that they needed to go overseas because that's where they needed to raise the money, um, despite the amount of money that Australian taxpayers ploughed into that company in its initial... And, and let's face it, you know, starting a new company, like when I started my own company, it's a bit like sending a rocket to space. You, 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 lose, you use half your fuel just, just clearing the tower. Um, and that's where obviously a lot of tax dollars go into. And, and they're not the only ones. There are, there are hundreds of Australian companies that when they get to the point where they become actually worth a lot of money, they feel like they have to go overseas. And there's no doubt that not being able to raise capital in Australia is a primary problem that we face. Absolutely. I think absolutely. Jason, I know there's some um, detractors out there who are saying it's not worth getting a retail corporate bond market up in Australia. And often what they say is, well, you can't get franking credits with with um, bonds. Did you find, what was your research into that area, into tax and franking credits and the bond market? Uh, look, um, our research in, in, in that respect was no different to any other. I mean, franking credits are certainly valuable to a certain class of investor and to those people, I say, well, don't buy corporate retail bonds. But just because you don't want to buy corporate bonds doesn't mean you should deny everyone else the opportunity of purchasing or investing in corporate bonds. So, I mean, you know, um, if there's one thing Australia suffers from, it's this view, it's this um, overarching over, uh, view, which is because I don't think an idea is good no one else should do it. Look, I don't think, I mean, you know, there are plenty of companies on the ASX that I sit there and wonder how is it that people actually invest in you? Um, but that's up to them, not up to me. Absolutely. should be a free a free system. Jason, what do you think, what sort of would, in your mind, is a minimum sort of parcel size into buying a retail corporate bond? Have you looked at some of the actual, um, how it might really physically look a retail corporate bond market? Oh, look, we had a lot of um, we had a lot of people uh, come through with different ideas about what it was. I don't personally have a view. I think most people um, would sort of, well. I think a lot of people. I'm not even sure it's a majority, to be honest. Would sort of fall back on the five hundred dollar range because that's consistent with the um, with the uh, ASX listing rules. Um, but I, you know, once again, I don't have a view on this sort of stuff. No worries. And I know AustraClear's um, the main settler of bonds in Australia, also that settles um, shares. I mean, really, there shouldn't be the hindrance in settling bonds the same way it, sell, it settles shares, should there? There should. There shouldn't. It, it should be very simple. Um, I think the ASX is projecting to blockchain technology on its register is also very exciting. Um, but, you know, these are... These are, these are um, sort of administrative issues um, which, which can get solved once you deal with a bigger issue, which is, well, why aren't there more bonds being issued in Australia? And the answer on that 
you know, seems pretty clear, which is that there's an institutional bias against um, against allowing people to invest in corporate bonds in Australia from ASIC, APRA um, and Treasury. Jason, we love the work you're doing advocating for the asset class and uh, we wish you and the paper all the best. We'll be following uh, closely. We hope you might come back at some point in future and have a chat to us. I'd certainly love to chat to you a bit more about superannuation and uh, uh, caps and um, getting money into super and tax. Uh, A lot of our listeners would be very interested to hear on that front, but we won't cover that today. I just want to thank you on behalf of all our listeners and um, and wish you well and, and North and beaches in in lockdown. Hopefully you'll be out of that soon. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us this week on Fixated, the fixed income podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to join us again next week. Still hungry for more fixed income news, views and education? Then visit fixedincomenews.com.au and don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter to have the latest news delivered right to your inbox. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Elizabeth Moran and we'll see you next week on Fixated, the fixed income podcast.